0: Hello. Thanks for downloading Stories of Our Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, we're taking a break from our corona coverage. For the next 25 minutes, we'll be taking you away from the news, away from your homes, away from the Zoom sessions with the office, and away from the siren call of social media. Together, we'll be going on a journey that began hundreds of thousands of years ago. Last month, Tom Whipple, science editor here at The Times, Join me on a private tour of the Natural History Museum in London as we try to discover the lost history of the origins of man. What would you say if I told you that hobbits are
1: real? I'd be surprised if J.R.R. Tolkien had kept secret his discovery of (laughs) small
2: fossils.
0: But you'd be surprised what you can find in the depths of a museum.
2: So this is an adult female, a tiny individual, a tiny head, a tiny brain in that skull, short legs, great big flat feet.
0: With Homo floresiensis, real life hobbits, one of several new human ancestors to have been recently discovered, there's a revolution going on in our understanding of what it means to be human.
2: It seemed incredible that it was on a remote island in Indonesia. So how did it get there? What was its evolutionary history? And was it really a distinct species?
0: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the real origins of man. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A few weeks ago, before coronavirus had closed the theatres, schools and other public places, I was lucky enough to be given a private tour of the Natural History Museum in London.
1: We are here for a special viewing of the Human Origins exhibition, which is the story of us. It's the story of where we came from. Uh, And it's a story that has changed massively in the past 15 years.
0: That's The Times' science editor, Tom Whipple, and he's very keen to show me an exhibition all about the evolution of mankind.
1: I think it's one of the most exciting stories in science. They've had a revolution as big as the one Einstein brought to physics, and I don't think we talk about it enough. So we're going to be talking to a man who wants to talk about it a lot. With the privilege of going along for an early showing at the Natural History Museum. It was just us. Us and the cleaners. And the cleaners. uh, And the sounds of vacuum cleaners and clanking and fire alarm tests. Attention, please. Attention, please. This is an emergency evacuation. And Chris Stringer, who curates it. He was very much aware that they have to continually update it and that the Natural History Museum doesn't necessarily want to respond to every twist and turn in the scientific literature. So some of it is, as he pointed out, there are complaints from know it all visitors, some of it is perhaps behind the times, so but that's inevitable. <laughs> to be
0: fair, given how quickly everything's changing, it's very
1: hard <laughs> it is, that, that to is update
0: your exhibits inevitable. every other every other week.
1: Particularly when you see the works that's gone into the exhibits, so for instance, there's a row of skulls where they've moulded
2: the skulls of all of these different um, ancestors cousins whatever we want to call them we've got a whole list of changes to make when we put the exhibit up hominelli hadn't been dated and if you look at the diagram there we've got a bar a million years wide of where we thought it dated and it was actually wrong so that's got to be corrected there. That
0: was quite a big margin of error too
2: <laughs> we got, yeah we gave a million years and we were wrong so there you are yeah yeah
0: i don't know about you But Tom and I certainly remember going to the museum on school trips and learning all about the evolution of man. But what scientists have learnt over the last two decades about our shared ancestry has completely ripped up the textbooks.
1: If you'd asked someone in 2000 to go through the evolution of humanity, the evolution of Homo sapiens, most of them told you this one story about humans probably from about 250,000 years ago. Homo sapiens, which is our species, evolved in East Africa. We came down to the trees, we lived this life, and then we produced this very clever ape, which left Africa, went out into a wider world that was basically unoccupied. If we went into Europe, we met the Neanderthals. The Neanderthals very quickly went extinct after that. And that was that. That was the triumph of humanity. And almost every element of that tale has either changed completely or at least been modified.
0: So it turns out there have been three groundbreaking scientific discoveries of human ancestry – which have led to that shift in our understanding. Discovery number one. A people who come straight out of Middle Earth. Homo floresiensis.
1: So the Homo floresiensis, better known as the Hobbit, this was the species that really kicked things off in the early 2000s when we discovered it and many people have refused to believe that it was another human species many people in the field because it just seemed so fantastical that there were these small little things roaming around that were like us but weren't us of course now we have found many more and that's no longer fantastical but it's still it's still an astonishing thing to realize that in parallel to our own evolution undiscovered by us on this island in southeast asia there were these tiny little human creatures
2: doing human things So this is an adult female, and you can see she's only just over a metre tall. So a tiny individual, a tiny head, a tiny brain in that skull. Quite small teeth though, very very human-looking like teeth, but you can see no chin on the lower jaw, and body proportions that are very different to ours. Long arms, short legs, great big flat feet. So some yes. very distinctive features in this, this skeleton.
0: I mean it wouldn't have looked like anything we recognise. Those feet are huge in
2: comparison they to are. the rest of yes, the body. Great big flat feet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean does that mean that the idea of hobbits which have um yeah, enter the lexicon in, in literature, certainly, a long time ago. Are they actually quite scientific?
1: I'd be surprised if J.R.R. R. Tolkien had um, kept secret his discovery of small <laughs> fossils on the island sort of Forrest.
0: An understanding in, in human history of there being sort of dwarf-like versions of us
1: quite how the hobbits came about we don't know but it's not surprising that they're on an island things often get smaller on islands i think we know that they they killed dwarf rhinoceroses from their dwarf encampments on the island uh so
0: everything gets more islands can
1: get or sometimes they can get bigger
2: but yeah often they get smaller
0: what was it about this discovery that changed everything
2: it seemed incredible that you could have such a primitive creature with a brain the size of a chimpanzee, but walking upright like us, that it was on a remote island in Indonesia. So how did it get there? What was its evolutionary history? And was it really a distinct species? So some people found this simply too difficult to believe. And they argued that this was some kind of pathological modern human uh, with maybe Down syndrome or Laron syndrome, uh, and that had affected the skeleton. And other people said, well, it's actually just a variant of, of the small-bodied people that you can find on the island today. Well... I think we can say that that it definitely is absolutely distinct. It has a separate evolutionary history. Things move on very fast in this field, so we get new discoveries, of course, and, of course, the DNA data is changing, building up all the time. Uh, That revealed to us these weird other humans called the Denisovans.
0: Discovery number two a lucky group of cave dwellers who were only discovered by modern-day science, the Denisovans.
1: So Denisovans, they came from a cave in Siberia in 2009. In the permafrost, we found just a few bits of bone. And normally, I mean, if that had been found 10, 15 years ago, it would have been left at that. There wasn't remotely enough to identify this as a new species. But because of genetic technology, they tested it routinely. They thought they were testing it just, you know, this will be... An, old human species but one we know about and discovered something completely new which is Denisovans and then when we looked at that DNA we found that throughout Southeast Asia that's popping up in living humans implying that these were a wide-ranging species of humans who again bred with us.
0: And how how different are they to Homo sapiens? I mean where are they on the knuckle-dragging spectrum?
2: The Denisovans we know a lot less about. There are fossils in china that might be denisovan there's a jawbone from the tibetan plateau that probably is denisovan so those were like the neanderthals in being late humans with big brains again though they died out we think probably about forty thousand years ago
0: tom for you which other exhibits here sort of change our understanding of what's been happening
1: um so i like the Denisovans. um, I I like them because of how little there is, but how much we know about it. I feel this slightly exemplifies the uh, part of the revolution and that this genetic information allows us to see the shadow of the Denisovans living on in us. And I don't know if anyone's done the calculation, but I'd be fascinated to know whether the living amount of DNA that we have accumulated over all of these billions of people weighs more than the bone fossil evidence we have of the Denisovans. If There's sort of more of them existing in our genome than we've managed to find elsewhere but I I honestly don't know the answer to that.
0: Of, Of all the artifacts here which sort of changed your understanding of our evolution the most?
2: Well I think you know the exhibit we're looking at now with with these two teeth you can see there so these are replicas of two Denisovan teeth and these human teeth were found in Denisova Cave in Siberia. Russian archaeologists had been digging there for about 50 years and they found a number of artefacts and these fragmentary human fossils. But when the DNA was analysed in these teeth and also a tiny piece of finger bone, it revealed these new humans called the Denisovans. And the Neanderthals, amazingly, were also in that cave at times. And the Denisovans and Neanderthals even interbred with each other. So there is evidence of a hybrid child between a Neanderthal and a Denisovan um, found in that cave.
0: That's amazing. And there's a a timeline with with some skulls next to it. What are we looking at?
2: Yeah, so here we've got a representation of about seven million years of human evolution. So, at the bottom there, for the first five million years or so, we've got all the different species that existed in Africa. And you and see the vast difference. You know, You've Heidelberg says you
1: would want to employ them as bouncers, <laughs> and they would be very effective. You definitely wouldn't be wanting to employ the hobbits as bouncers.
0: The female Neanderthal did look like Shrek.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She was scary, but she in, we know she incited the passions of the loins of uh, some of our direct ancestors. But yes, she looked a lot like Shrek.
2: Uh, Yes, yes, she looks quite strikingly different from us, but, um, you know, I expect with hair on and so on, uh, you know, and you were around 50,000 years ago, you... you Might make a prettier picture. Who knows? I mean, obviously (laughs) something happened uh, regardless.
0: Discovery number three, a familiar name and face to most of us. Glance to either side of you on your commute to work, in the queue at the shops, or maybe these days, just in your own living room. And it's possible you'll spot a direct descendant. The Neanderthals.
1: Well, the Neanderthals were the species that I guess we did know about and we've known about for quite some time. What we often think about we characterise them as large, brutish and let to be frank, they were large. They probably were brutish, but so were we then, and they were certainly, you know, hairy. But we're increasingly understanding that they had culture, they looked after their own, they had forms of medicine tool-making, they may even have rudimentary forms of art. So we're having to question the strength of our divide between us and the Neanderthals, particularly so when we realise that we bred with them and have their DNA in us now.
0: That's what's so amazing about seeing the skulls up next to each other. You know, the Neanderthals are just so much bigger than the Homo sapiens and suddenly the idea of them interbreeding, you realise just... <laughs> Just how unusual that is.
2: Yeah yeah I mean it seems so to us, but of course what we know happens in modern hunter-gatherer groups sometimes and in chimpanzee groups is that if there's a group of males that have run out of female partners, they will actually raid another group and steal their, their females. That, that is what could have happened 40 or 50,000 years ago.
0: I mean that does seem to be a massive leap. Did we know before then that there was interbreeding between these different types of human?
2: Well, we didn't have evidence of that interbreeding directly. Some people thought it happened and I didn't rule it out. So 10 years ago, if you asked me, I would have said, well, it wouldn't have been normal behaviour. And there's been a lot of genetic changes since. So we probably never find it today, even if it happened. Well, I was wrong about that. Of course, it's certainly there. And it's said that if you total up all the Neanderthal DNA in everyone alive today, there probably is more Neanderthal DNA around today than there was when the Neanderthals were alive. So, we made them extinct by making love, not making war? Uh, That's one way of putting it, yes, yes.
1: One of the things that I found interesting is that not only did we breed with them, but
2: we might have benefited from that. Our ancestors evolved predominantly in Africa, and we adapted to the diseases and pathogens that were in Africa. So when our ancestors came out of Africa 60,000 years ago, they had lost or never gained a lot of the adaptations to diseases outside of Africa. Whereas the Neanderthals and Denisovans, of course, had evolved in those environments and they had natural immunities to many of those diseases and pathogens. So by interbreeding with them, we got a quick fix to our immune systems. The downside is that some autoimmune diseases we have today seem to be linked with the presence, for example, of Neanderthal DNA. Things like Crohn's disease, lupus, biliary cirrhosis. You know, it's not guaranteed you get the condition if you've got any anti- DNA, but if you've got it in certain places, you have a slightly greater risk of developing those conditions.
0: Would we have been very different now if we—if it hadn't been for the interbreeding?
1: I don't think we'd have been hugely different. What I do think might have changed us psychologically is if we had managed not to kill off all of these other species, I think we would now look at ourselves very differently. If somehow another human species had managed to survive, then I think we'd look at ourselves very differently.
0: Does an understanding of how we might be part Neanderthal or part Denisovan, does it change what we know about race fundamentally?
1: The way we view race is... inevitably it comes into these things what you see is this mass mingling of dna that's been going on for hundreds of thousands of years the thing that i take away from it is that the idea of talking about genetic purity is such manifest nonsense when you're looking at deep time that i think probably it's the racists who'd be most upset about this rather than those trying to use it for their own ends Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: So, hobbits are real, and Neanderthal women would have made excellent bouncers. But what does that mean for the rest of us Homo sapiens? How do these discoveries change our understanding of the modern-day
1: human's family tree? The big thing that's changed is what we met when we left Africa and what we did with the things we met. Um, We now know that there are, there's Homo floresiensis, which are the little hobbit creatures on the island of Flores. Uh, We know that there's uh, Homo denisovan. We know that there's uh, Neanderthals. There's all of these other species that were walking the earth with us that were very close to us. And this is, I guess, the most extraordinary thing by looking at The DNA of the samples we found of them and our own DNA, we know just how close we got to them. We had sex with them. We mated with these animals. Their DNA lives in us still. In a a very real sense, they are not extinct.
0: I mean, that's fascinating because growing up when you're studying this at school, you sort of see it as a progression, you know, from ape effectively to, you know, something that sort of starts to be upright. And the Neanderthal sort of comes somewhere before you get to us as the the apex of, of... civilization almost.
1: Yeah, so this this idea of distinct species is something that I guess we have to slightly abandon. We had this view of a family tree of humanity with Neanderthals out on one branch, us on another, and then common ancestors going back, yeah, maybe getting more upright, looking more human-like and less hairy. And the problem with this separate family tree is actually the branches are a bit intertwined. And when we met these other species we had we had uh, these romantic dalliances
0: which is baffling in some ways because they were still so
1: distinctly different. I think you should never underestimate the power of human libido (laughs) do we think that we had a part to play in the dying out of all of these other species that walked the world with us
0: Yes, are we killing them off?
2: Yes, that, that is one of the big questions. What was our role in the disappearance of these other humans? So 70,000 years ago, there was still at least five kinds of humans around on the earth. Some of them, the Neanderthals, were very muscular, very powerfully built people. Some people think we may have actually fought with them and killed them off. What really was the key to our success? Some people think that, you know, we had complex language and they didn't. And I, I doubt that. I think the Neanderthals and Denisovans had complex lives. They had complex technology i think it's much more likely that our species spread at their expense simply by hunting the same animals wanting to live in the best areas modern humans obviously have triumphed not through physical strength but through their technology more than anything and their organizational skills
0: Is it even more surprising that it's not, say, the Neanderthals who've ended up surviving until now, or or the hobbits, you know is, are we any clearer on why it was us?
1: I suppose another way of looking at it is not that we're less special than we thought we were, but perhaps the Neanderthals are more special than we allowed them to be. We know that Homo sapiens went through a bottleneck where there were just a few thousand of us left. We came very, very close to extinction. And you can well imagine that a different throw of the evolutionary dice, very slightly different circumstances and we would be the ones extinct. But I don't want to be too down on Homo sapiens. We have managed to survive in every single climate. I think something slightly special did happen in us. It might be to do with more to do with cooperation than to do with our intellect. But we managed to do what these other human species didn't managed to do and that's spread to the entirety of the world so there's something else there but without them in existence for now it's not clear what the difference was
2: the question of what makes us special is, is a very tricky one in any sense why are we more special than the Neanderthals, that's a fundamental question that we should look at and if, if things had gone differently in evolutionary history the Neanderthals might be the dominant species on earth now and we could have gone extinct, I think that's a humbling thought to bear in mind
0: has science got more used to these discoveries?
2: I think we we haven't got used to these new discoveries yet. I think you know one of the things I always say now is you know um, be prepared to be surprised, expect the unexpected. I mean that's how it has to be now. You really don't know what's around the corner, and that's really exciting. We're in a very exciting phase of this whole story
1: you've been
0: listening to stories of our times with me manveen rana and my guest science editor of the times tom whipple You can read more of Tom's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Ben Mitchell and James Shield. The executive producer was Leo Hornack. And the deputy executive producer was Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast and more. We hope you enjoyed our trip to the museum. But in these uncertain times, if you want more information about coronavirus, you can always access expert analysis and all the latest developments with The Times' dedicated daily newsletter. You can sign up for free online at thetimes.co.uk forward slash coronavirus. See you next time.